1920, Americans spent 17, I think maybe 20% of their budget on food and 5% on medical care. And today we spend something like 10% on food, but 15% on medical care. So it works out the same. Uh, wouldn't it be better just to spend that money on having a good quality diet and not have to have all the medical care? Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. So let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Sally Fallon Morell. Sally is best known as the author of Nourishing Traditions, the cookbook that challenges politically correct nutrition and the diet dictocrats. She is also the founding president of the Weston A. Price Foundation and editor of the foundation's quarterly magazine. In 2009, Sally and her husband embarked on a new venture. They purchased a farm in Southern Maryland. P.A. Bowen Farmstead is a pasture-based farm that produces award-winning artisan raw cheese, whey-fed woodlands pork, pasture poultry, and pastured eggs. And Sally also has a new book on the way that you can pre-order called The Contagion Myth. You can get that on Amazon. Welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is an honor. So Sally, I've heard you talk a little bit about some of your health challenges that you had when you were a kid. And how did you come to discover the nourishing traditions way of eating, particularly with all of the nutritional misinformation that's, that's out there in the world? Well, I, I kind of figured out myself that um, if I ate a lot of fat at each meal, most of my health problems went away. The fatigue, the uh, kind of flightiness, not being able to concentrate. And um, I never was one to believe what anyone told me anyway. I was always kind of that way. And I was fortunate to grow up in a family where we did eat real food and my mother always used butter. So I was using the right kind of fats. Um, Then I spent a year in France and in France I discovered pate which is like to me the most delicious food on the planet. And um, so I had already been eating this way, a rich diet. I wasn't afraid of fats. And I then uh, discovered Dr. Weston Price. I read his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, in which he shows the beautiful health and wonderful teeth of native people. And these people always had a nice rich diet. Um, lots of animal foods, lots of organ meats, and lots of fat. So I was, you know, it kind of confirmed what I was already doing. Uh, I was just starting out with my family, and I had four children, and I raised them on this diet, and none of them needed braces, which is what Dr. Price said. You, You won't have crooked teeth if you eat this way during your growing years. And I needed braces, so, you know, this was like we reversed the physical degeneration. Uh, anyway, um, then I got the idea to write the book, Nourishing Traditions. I worked with Mary Ennig, who was a lipid biochemist, and um, we were really concerned about this low-fat message becoming more and more shrill and being applied to growing children. I mean, in 1990, the um, uh, National Institutes of Health 
uh, instituted as part of the cholesterol campaign, that at the age of two, the pediatricians would tell the parents, okay, now we want to put them on this diet for life, which is low fat, uh, no butter, no whole milk, skim milk. Um, you know, it's really a starvation diet. And these are the very years, uh, growing years, when children need um, a nutrient dense, maximize the nutrients in the diet. So really that spurred us, our concern for children. And we founded the Weston A. Price Foundation along with my husband and Dr. Tom Cowan. And um, always our emphasis has been on diets for pregnant women and growing children. Because this is where it happens. Once you have grown, uh, in my case, I grew up uh, with a kind of a narrow face. Uh, that's it. You can't go back and change things. You can have braces, and I'm all in favor of straightening teeth, kids, kids' teeth <laughs> with yeah, braces. Yeah. But um, yeah, you want to do everything you can to make your children attractive and have a good start in life. But you actually don't need to do that if you have fed them right from the beginning. That's amazing. And I mean, as you say, the, the foundation is the, getting a good start as a, as a child and yet human breast milk, which is like the ultimate superfood. I think pretty much everybody can agree on that. Well, I guess most people can agree on that is primarily, isn't it Sally, saturated fat and cholesterol. Yeah. It's 55% fat and uh, human breast milk uh, is really high in cholesterol and contains a couple of enzymes that ensures the baby absorbs 100% of that cholesterol. Uh, babies don't make cholesterol, uh, and that only comes online as you know later on in their period of growth. And they absolutely need cholesterol for the formation of their brain and nervous system uh, to have a normal uh, sexual development and also to have proper digestion because the cells lining the small intestine are very rich in cholesterol. So um, I, I have to go back. I'm always a contrarian, <laughs> and you know, what you said about breast milk. In an ideal world, yes, breast is best, but the mother needs to be well-nourished. If she's not well-nourished, uh, there'll be a lot of things missing from that breast milk. And one of the very radical things that Mary and I did was publish a homemade formula based on raw milk. And I can tell you that a lot of babies that were not doing well on the breast, weren't thriving, or whose mothers didn't have enough milk, and that does happen more frequently than you think, uh, they have just done beautifully on this homemade formula. So you always need to look at the baby. Uh, how is this baby doing? Is the baby growing normally, meeting its milestones? Is the baby happy or is the baby crying a lot? And that can tell you a lot about mom and her breast milk. <laughs> Absolutely. Sally, since you're on the show right here, I'd love to bust a few myths because so many people are just, you know, when you tell, when you tell someone that um, it's okay to eat animal fat and cholesterol is, is, is good and you, and you need it, your body needs it. Um, people will look at you like you have, like you've just like told them that the world, I'm yeah. sorry. Like you're crazy. <laughs> like you're crazy. Yeah, but but you you went back to Weston Price, who was really the the sort of started this whole thing back in the 20th century. Um, that's not what he found. I mean, he found diets around the world that were rich in saturated fat. Yes. Maybe if you could just bust a few myths as far as saturated fat and cholesterol. Well, saturated important. fat is the type of fat in animals and in tropical oils. 
the main type of fat. What's in the vegetable oils is very, there's very little saturated fat. And what happened was when these vegetable oils came online, they are completely new to the human diet and oils from soy, canola, corn, uh, all of this. Um, the industry embarked on this advertising campaign to convince the public to use their oils instead of the animal fats that we had always used. I mean, what did we use before we had vegetable oils? Some people did have olive oil, but even in those places, they cooked in lard and they ate butter or they uh, fried in beef tallow or lamb tallow. And these are the healthy, stable fats and the ones we should be eating. I, I think people really need to get a grips on the notion or on what's happened. This anti-fat and uh, animal fat campaign is a advertising campaign of the vegetable oil industry. And the vegetable oils are so much cheaper than the animal fats that this is what sustains the processed food industry. Excellent. Um, Sally, a lot of people are talking now about the immune system and wanting to strengthen their immune system, you know, viruses, pathogens. Mm, yeah. And I know maybe we can get into that with your contagion myth, but, um, you know, for the immune system needs cholesterol. It, it absolutely fundamentally, maybe if you could speak to the importance of these, these rich saturated fats and cholesterol for the immune system. Yes. And of course, when we talk about the immune system, Dr. Cowan and I, we're talking just about the ability to withstand toxins and uh, to, um, uh, to be healthy because we're arguing that viruses and bacteria are not what make you sick. So, but some of them, sometimes bacteria produce poisons. Under certain conditions, bacteria produce poisons. And then yes, a healthy immune system helps you deal with those poisons. Uh, cholesterol is very important in this process, but even more important uh, is vitamin A. Uh, you absolutely need vitamin A for a healthy immune system. And we get vitamin A from animal fats. We don't get vitamin A from plants. Now, I know that that's what they say. You can get vitamin A from carrots and tomatoes and everything. But what's in plants is carotenes. And carotenes don't do the job. Uh, we can convert some of those carotenes. About 50% of the population lacks the enzyme for converting carotenes. Uh, and we can overdose on carotenes too. So what we really need is the true animal fats. And that's what we get from butter and egg yolks and uh, liver. And of course, this is why we promote pasture feeding of livestock because that maximizes the levels of these special vitamins that are in the fats, vitamin A, vitamin D, and vitamin K. Okay, Sally, you may have just answered it, but it, but if so, so many people right now are just breaking down physically, they're not nourished. I mean, you literally wrote the book, Nourishing Traditions. Yeah, yeah. So if someone was sitting with you right now and they were malnourished and they were breaking down mentally, physically, um, what would you advise them to really get back to a, to, to a nourishing traditions diet? It's so hard, Drew. <laughs> it's so hard when people are not used to eating this way or frightened to eat this way or have really chaotic eating patterns and won't cook, won't prepare food, and just are kind of grabbing snacks all the time. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, but there's a few things that you can do. One is just switch to butter. Um, put butter on everything. It's the world's healthiest fat. It is, after all, the fat in nature 
for the growth and development of all mammals, including humans. So it's, it's a healthy fat. Um, don't use the vegetable oils. I, one of the first things I teach people is to make their own salad dressing and not use those bottled dressings, which are just bottles of garbage. <laughs> and you make your own salad dressing with olive oil, good olive oil and vinegar and mustard or whatever you want to use. But learn to make your own salad dressing. Use butter. Uh, my husband and I, we cook in bacon fat, and I can tell you it's a very stable, healthy fat, and it sure does make food taste good. Uh, the nice thing about our diet is there's actually no renunciation on our diet. Uh, you don't have to eat kale smoothies or skinless chicken breasts or anything unappetizing. Um, you can have all the fats you want. You can eat the skin on the chicken. Uh, you can... <laughs> have a butter on your sourdough bread. You can have eggs and bacon for breakfast. So it's a very nourishing, fulfilling diet. And I think I've had a lot of people tell me when they start on this diet, well, first of all, they splurged. They had given themselves permission to eat fats and then they kind of couldn't stop eating fats. But that goes away after a while. And uh, then all of a sudden you find that your eating habits become a lot more um, or a lot less chaotic. You find if you eat a good breakfast with all the good fats, you actually don't even think about food until lunchtime. And the same with your lunch and your dinner. So uh, this kind of eating does uh, kind of slow down and organize your body's um, appetites and feelings of hunger and so forth. Would you say that nourishing traditions is really going back to sort of the ways of our ancestors? Yes. Yes. So we started with Weston Price. What did he find? He found no junk food in these diets. All the diets contained animal foods and the diets were very nutrient dense. Every single population included organ meats. So one way or another, we tell people you need to learn to eat liver, um, it's liverwurst or scrapple or pate or just liver and onions. Or, or even desiccated liver, one way or another, you need to eat some liver because all traditional cultures did eat liver. Um, so, so, where was I? So those things come from Dr. Price, but there's some other um, principles that we add in. One is the principle of uh, unrefined salt. And by the way, you don't need to restrict salt. Salt is very important for your health and very important for your, your immune system. Um, proper preparation of grains. Now, grains are really hard to digest and they get people in a lot of trouble. Um, but if they're prepared properly, like a beautiful sourdough bread or soaking your oats overnight, uh, there's a great sourdough pancake recipe in my book that's truly easy. Um, these are the kind of things that can make, make you fall in love with grains again. Uh, fermented foods are very important. Always getting some good bacteria every day in your diet with sauerkraut or whatever. Um, uh, bone broth is another very important principle or fundamental of a traditional diet. And if you do dairy products, we recommend that they be raw dairy products. Beautiful. Um, you know, Sally, I was giving a talk somewhere about a year ago and, and someone, you know, I was talking about a lot of these principles and getting back to, you know, grass fed meats and, and, and fermented foods and all this stuff. And, and the person that I was, that was questioning me just couldn't get out of their head how expensive all of this sounded. Yeah. Like this is just way too much money, but 
bone broth and organ meat. I mean, that's cheap stuff. I'd love you to speak to if someone did say, said that to you, like this, this way of eating is just too expensive. What might you say to them? Well, the first thing I would say, is it really? So add up everything you spend on food, and that includes the fast food meals, everything, the, the sodas, and then add to that everything you spend on medical care. Now, I would say that my husband and I eat a, oh, it's not overly expensive, but, you know, it's kind of a, mo- we pay kind of moderate amounts for our food, um, but our medical care is zero. We're not on any drugs. We don't go to the doctor. We don't need to. Uh, so you absolutely have to uh, add in the medical care. Um, I have a little chart I show. In, in 1920, Americans spent 17, I think it was maybe 20% of their budget on food and 5% on medical care. And today we spend something like 10% on food, but 15% on medical care. So it works out the same. Uh, wouldn't it be better just to spend that money on having a good quality diet and not have to have all the medical care? Uh, also, there's a lot of things that we do in our diet that are very cost-saving. Uh, for example, you um, eat the whole, ch- you buy a chicken, eat not the parts, but the whole chicken, and save the bones and make broth. Um, and then you have several meals of soup, for, basically for nothing. Uh, oatmeal, soaked oatmeal, is so much less expensive than the box breakfast cereals. Uh, sodas are very expensive, and we recommend you know good water or kombucha, and you can make the kombucha yourself for pennies. So there's a lot of savings in our diet, uh, even though some of the foods will be more expensive. That's beautiful, Sally. S- since you're on the the show here and your book is about to be released, and we mm-hmm. want everybody to buy the Contagion Myth, can you just give us a quick rundown? I mean, we're all we're all dealing with a a, a contagion, I guess you would say. I mean, yeah. some some contagion would say of that. Fear. F- fear uh, the contagion contagion. of fear. Yes. Yeah. So um, Tom and I argue, and we show, um, and we discuss it at great length um, that bacteria do not make us sick. Viruses do not make us sick. I mean, lots of scientists, starting with Louis Pasteur, tried to make people sick just by giving them pure cultures of bacteria, and they never could do it. Pasteur had to add poisons uh, to these cultures to get them to make people sick. Uh, There is a a prize out there. You can win 100,000 euros if you can prove even the existence of the measles virus. Nobody's found this measles virus. So what does make us sick, okay? Uh, Poor nutrition and toxins. Now, there are certain conditions in which bacteria will produce toxins. For example, if you have a puncture wound from a dog bite or a, a wound, you know, like a nail in your foot, and you don't keep that clean and it becomes anaerobic, the clostridium will produce a kind of botulism toxin. That's a nerve toxin that will make you sick. Uh, And before they came out with the rabies vaccine, that was Pasteur again, uh, that's what they did. They they actually cauterized the wound and burned it. So, you know, completely um, cut off from everything. And the people didn't get um, these diseases. So we're really going down the wrong road with uh, vaccinations and drugs and everything because it's not addressing the problem. Uh, also, we do argue, so what's causing COVID-19, right? 
And by the way, they've never isolated this so-called virus, never been isolated. The Chinese have not done it. The Americans have not done it. What you see with this little ball with these things sticking out, that's, that's a computer rendering. And what it's rendering is something called exosomes, which are produced inside the cell. They, they look kind of fuzzy. I mean, this is very, very tiny. It's hard to photograph, but, but they can. And uh, these exosomes are actually good for us. They swallow toxins and then they leave the cell and go around the body and attach to other cells and say, hey, something bad is coming, you need to prepare. What is it that's so bad right now? Well, one of the things we argue is that the COVID-19 has exactly followed city by city where they've rolled out 5G, uh, 5G uh, wireless service, which is in the millimeter range. It's basically microwave range and has been tested way back in the 60s. They tested millimeter waves to use it for a weapon. It turned out to be a pretty good weapon. Uh, and they found that it caused everything from infertility to irregular heartbeat to blood clots to all the things we're seeing today. So there's the culprit. And now we need to figure out how to live with this. Um, one of the things we talk about is the Spanish flu, 1918. And they could never show that the Spanish flu was contagious. They tried and tried. It would take um, sick people and have them cough and spit on well people, and they couldn't make the well people get sick. Uh, what it did coincide with is the rollout of radio worldwide. And this, the human body was just not used to this. And, and like 50 million people got sick. Uh, we've gotten used to radio. I don't know anyone who gets sick around the radio. And uh, that's due to these exosomes in our cells, what they're calling um, you know, evil viruses. They're actually very helpful to us. And we've seen, we need this paradigm shift that viruses are not evil. They're our friends, just like we've seen a paradigm shift with the bacteria. Remember, we used to think bacteria were bad and attacked us and make us sick. And now we know that bacteria are our friends and we live in symbiotic relationship with about with billions of bacteria on our bodies and in our intestinal tract. And without bacteria, we're dead. They're our friends. Bacteria are there to create nutrients, to help our immune system, and also to eat dead tissue. And they help with digestion. So I think we need to, you know, whenever science discovers something, they assume it's bad. Right. <laughs> like when they discovered antibodies, they thought that these were um, bad and they carried toxins from one cell to the other in the body. That's what they thought about antibodies. Now we know that antibodies are good. So the same thing with viruses. When they discovered viruses, they called them viruses, which means poison in, in um, Latin. Mm. And <laughs> they're not poisonous. They're, they're our friends. So um, the book, uh, I think, is very, very interesting and really challenges the whole basis of medical practice today. Beautiful. It's a very, then it's very needed and I uh, hope everyone will uh, pick it up and read it. Um, just a few, few more questions. So, so you're a farmer. Yeah. Um, I sins. know you have a beautiful farm in... <laughs> a beautiful farm in Maryland. Just tell us a little bit about your farm and the healing power of nature in your life. Well, we love the farm. Uh, we love being able to supply really clean food to people. 
and we love having grateful customers, uh, but we've also seeing what it's like to be a farmer and it's not easy especially the financial side of it so i have a lot more respect for farmers these days and small farmers don't get much help and i'm not saying this to complain about our situation we're, we're doing okay but i've had some really real sleepless nights and most farmers do have a lot of sleepless nights there's no help out there for them it's not like the big farmers who get subsidies and you know, government loans at very low interest and things like that. So, yeah, All <laughs> it's right. been an adventure. It's been an adventure. How, how would you, um, Sally, how is the, the, how would you describe like the healing power of nature in your life? Like what is, what is, why is nature so important to you, would you say? Well, I think one th- reason nature is important is it gets you outside and away from the computer. <laughs> uh, we really need to learn to balance this wonderful new technology. I mean, I love it, but I don't know if you've ever taken an EMF meter up to your computer, you know, it just goes crazy. Have not. Yeah. So uh, we, de- we definitely need to rest from that. Uh, one of the things we talk about in our book, the contagion myth is how important it is to not have any of this going on when you're sleeping. So you turn off your Wi-Fi, if you can turn off all the power in your bedroom, even an alarm clock by your bed is is not not good. You want to try to get your sleeping environment as if you you are sleeping in nature in the outdoors. Maybe not Absolutely. with all the bugs, but okay, that's yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's great, Sally. Do you have any um, daily practices that you use to keep you grounded, centered, and a bit more peaceful? I'm a kind of a creature of habit. Uh, I, what grounds me, what I like is to cook. So it's escape to the kitchen. Cooking is a kind of meditation for me. And then when we started making cheese here, uh, a lot of people think cheese making is really boring. It's like a ritual, but I really enjoy it. It's just this quiet, um, it's a quiet ritual, uh, quiet activity. And then at the end, you have these beautiful cheeses. Wonderful. All right. I got two final questions for you that I ask everybody that's on the show. Um, For anyone listening who's feeling a little powerless, a little hopeless about their life and their future, if if they were sitting with you and you had to recommend one thing, what might be something that you would tell them to hopefully take their life in a new direction? Well, I would say eat butter. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'd just feel better. But my husband has a, a very nice suggestion. He says, you need to have goals. And a lot of people are just kind of milling around without goals. So think of a goal and write it down and put a date on it and put it on your refrigerator. And hopefully within six months, you will have accomplished that goal. Great. Great. Human beings need to be working towards something, uh, finishing something, accomplishing something. Even if it's just, uh, giving your house a good cleanup or, or whatever, but we all need goals. Great. Sally, last question. If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 45 years or so, what might some words of wisdom from your current self be to your younger self? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I would have told myself, don't eat so much sugar. I was a sugarholic. And I would have told myself that if you eat a really good nutrient-dense diet, uh, you won't crave sugar, which is what I learned for myself. So yes, that's what I tell my younger self. 
Sally, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone. 